Inspector Verlo Morton Lee Episode 16 Top 10 Things You Probably Missed in the Finale The following may contain depictions of violence. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, if you are listening to this, then you are some of my favorite people in the whole world. Thank you so much for your continued interest in this project. My name is Gregory Bratton, but you probably already know that because you've listened to all of season one by now. Is that important, you may ask? Yes, because this show has all kinds of spoilers. It might even spoil things for people who have actually listened to the shows. So uh, you definitely want to listen to season one before you jump into this. However, I cannot stop you, so just consider yourself warned. I am calling this special season one wrap-up bonus episode of Inspector Verlo Morton Lee, 10 Things You Probably Missed in the Finale. I know I promised a question-answer format, but I had a lot of conversations after the finale, and they all kind of devolved into these discussions touching on this and that, that what we're going to cover today. So some things that I thought were incredibly apparent, uh, mainly because, you know, the story's been in my head for like two years, so and not just casually listened to once. So things that I thought was super apparent was apparently not that apparent, and that's just a mistake on my part for not making it more clear. So, you know, we're learning, we're living, and I appreciate your patience with me. Hopefully, after making it through this top 10 list, you will know just a little bit more about this silly story. So, as you know, I hate wasting time, so I think the format has been sufficiently explained. So it's time to jump right in! Number 10. That's right. Keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for those stars. We in this now. The first item on our list is one of the first clues I deliberately placed in the story. And for that, we need to go all the way back to scene two of our very first episode. Do you remember this? Why, the Yorkshire Gazette once printed in their very pages she that I consider myself the, the modern-day incarnation of the great Sherlock you Holmes. Your with that and yes, Go away. that one particular urban legend is indeed true. Then it's a I did retire from active joint. duty with a perfect Fine. record of homicide. It's a little embarrassing remembering how clever I thought I was when I wrote that. And by that, I'm referring to Deputy Dundee threatening to shoot the boot joint. It's also a little weird. He seemed to understand what the bassoon was trying to say. But uh, what is a boot joint, you may ask? Well, I didn't know what it was either. And I spent some time enrolled at a pretty prestigious music college. It wasn't for a bassoon, though. So, uh, But my thought was, for the most part, only bassoon players would even know what that was, uh, the boot joint. So when the inspector found the mystery bassoon in the camper out in the woods and he and Connie did this... Where do you want me to stick this? Your choice. In in the wall. Gently, gently, gently in the wall. Maybe we won't have to break. Be careful! Be careful! Be, be more careful! Uh, I, I can't pull any harder. Help me. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I will gently apply pressure here where the structural integrity of the bassoon should be the greatest. So easy. Easy, easy. 
And one, two. Did I say three? Did I say three? Why would we go on three? Everybody goes on three. It's a thing. The three thing. It's That's a real thing. Is it? Well, we don't go on two. What kind of person goes on two? A successful person, I guess. Look, the exterior panel is broken off. You can climb out now. But Greg is in a thousand pieces. Don't worry, I'll have a few hours here. I can double that piece count if I work diligently. You are a monster! You're right. Kill it with fire. The only correct answer. That makes Deputy Dundee's lament to Governor Wise, which Brody overhears while hiding in the kitchen cabinet, make a lot more sense. Why would you even leave it there? Why not? You've been on steakhouse before. You know what it's like. Those weren't steakhouse, Deputy. Besides, my family doesn't like it. Why not? Do you suck at that as bad as you suck at this? Hey, I had to keep a straight face when I saw him. Are you going to cry right now? He was just laying on the ground. Don't personalize things. Be a professional, Dundee. I'm trying. That's right. Greg was his bassoon. Craig and Greg. Craig and... Okay, I'll stop before you turn this off. Okay, the point of all this is it places Dundee in the camper and in the middle of all of this shady business going on out in the woods of the master's estate. Was that one good? Don't worry, there's more! Number nine. Okay, how about a shorter one? This fell under the, I thought everyone knew that, category, and maybe you did, but I have talked to several people who didn't, so if you wondered where Mutt's secure, undisclosed location was during this scene... Did you bring the set of keys for the ice cream machine? Please tell me that you did. Uh, Mutt... I don't think that machine has worked in a really long time. Then you should have been paying better attention during this scene from episode 11. Yeah. The plan! One more time! Good grief! Yeah, okay, so, the first part. Operation WAPA. Reverend McLeod is dropping mud off at the safe house only you and I know about. It's the abandoned Dairy Queen. <laughs> what? It most certainly is not! Yes, it is. No! Oh, no. Yep, Brody knew what was up. It's time for number eight. Number eight. In the aftermath of the climactic scene in the courtyard, which we will discuss here soon, the good guys realized really Biggs probably has a treasure trove of material stored on his cell phone. One of those things he produced for his documentary on the governor was a rap song. Way back in episode two. So you know this man. Why are you so shocked? He hosts an open mic every fourth Friday of the month at Revelations. He and I would trade verses ripping on the governor freestyle. Wicka, 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 wicka. able to, um, rap? Biggs thought I could. He even had me record one of my verses into his little handheld music machine. I like to think Biggs established a tempo for the inspector, like a Google metronome, and <laughs> let him do his funky thing. Then he built absolutely everything else around that. You want me to rap? You want me to sing? Uh -huh. Spitting out the rhymes to your handheld machine with my funky dance moves and my eye for detail? Number seven. How am I supposed to do that now? Ebays? I don't know nothing about no Ebays. Oh, 
And believe it or not, I think it's finally done. No way! Really? All those recordings? I actually intended this one to be a little bit more audible, but it didn't really come out that way. The audio you hear Brody scrub, that's the at the beginning of the scene, is the last sentence spoken by the boat owner in the montage scene before. I don't know nothing about no eBay. The point of this is to establish Brody's role in the putting together, at the very least, a sizable portion of what you had just listened to. I thought it was cool. Number six. Okay, I really like this one, but I have yet to talk to someone in person who told me they remembered this. Uh, maybe you did? Uh, once again, it involves mutts. With regards to sentencing, because of your selfless actions to protect a helpless policeman from certain doom, I will gladly honor the framework presented by the state and reduce the penalties against you to time served, six months probation, and $7,000. Why, thank you, Your Excellency. Okay, yes, you probably did remember that. But did you remember it came from the scene where Brody and Reverend McLeod learned Yorkshire Falls wasn't quite all the inspector feared it to be? So, city boys, what do you think of this natural wonder here before us? Hmm, yeah. It is well. Yeah, it's pretty well, all right. Yorkshire Falls is what? Two, maybe three feet high? A small child could wait out there and not get their beanie wet. But no need, Brotitos. I've got Eddie's magic wand right behind this tree log. That's a tool used for commission of a crime. But not today, Chief. Today it protects a helpless policeman from uh, a certain doom. Really, Reverend? He's not really a policeman, per se. Certain doom. Just remember to put in a good word for Mutt at sentencing. Okay, Chief? Pretty please? Helpless policeman, certain doom. Got it. It'll be in the report. So, yeah, Chief put it in the report, word for word. On to number five, 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 five. Number five. All right, this one you may have missed because you didn't listen to all of the credits. It's cool. Uh, I understand. I mean, I would never do something like that myself, but it's okay. You do it, I, I suppose. If you remember, Miss Lissy was going to rewind a VCR tape while Brody went to pop popcorn while waiting on Inspector Lee's ridiculous answering machine message to finish. Here's how it went down. You, you know, if you're one of those too busy types. And once again, and for the final time this season, thank you for listening. Okay, I want to add one last thing. Like many other audio drama producers, I get a ton of sound effects from freesound.org. Because of my workflow, I simply cannot take the time to catalog what makes it into the show and what gets horrifically mangled by my processing decisions, etc. So I only use clips licensed under the Creative Commons Zero license. Th this means the clips are provided completely free and has been dedicated to the public domain. I just cannot thank all of you enough who have contributed to this effort. All of us owe you a huge debt of gratitude. But I do want to mention at least one of these people. 
Our show happens in a nearby alternate dimension that has some technology differences to our own. And here, use of VCRs aren't completely out of fashion. Uh, luckily, a user named Hitrison, Hitrison? I don't know. Anyway, he recorded a four-minute high-quality audio clip of a VCR rewinding a videotape. He mentions in the note for the sound clip, quote, This sound was a real pain to record. Every time I set up the mic, it seemed like the AC would come on, the dog would bark, or some other sound would ruin the recording. Whatever. I got it done. End quote. Yes, you did, and it was awesome. Thank you. And thank everyone who submits this sort of work into the public domain. On to number four. Number four. Do you think it could have been the sizzle? Like, for real? I mean, where are the odds he blows up the same day Biggs gets killed in an unrelated incident? The sizzle question. What made him act so sizzly? Well, in my mind, the sizzle was the sort of person who believed he had to have the best of everything to be successful. He believed having better tools than you made him a better person than you. That's why he overextended himself financially to buy exotic cookware. But when your ingredients cost more than a used motorcycle, now we are doing cartwheels on a tightrope with a complete disregard for safety. Yeah, well, that's an uh, interesting comparison. That's not to mention my massive and forbidden collection of antique cookware from the ancient world. But yes, I did sell my motorcycle to buy those Italian porcini mushrooms. The inspiration for this was a story I remember hearing of an explanation for the behavior of Emperor Nero of ancient Rome. The theory was Nero did Nero-y things because his meals were prepared in lead pots, which leached into his food, slowly turning him mad. I'd love to say I found tons of corroborating evidence for this, you know, when I went to research it, but um, maybe Google wasn't feeling it that day, so... This is a parallel universe, remember? <laughs> so yeah, the reason the Sizzles cookware was forbidden was because it was only to be displayed in museums, not actually used to prepare food. Bob, the never-heard voice in reporter Jordan Kelly's headset, was actually able to piece this together when he started looking up the Sizzle online after that tense phone call. Bob, that camera will transmit across the lake to the satellite truck, right? Bob, no one cares about ancient lead pots right now. What the heck are you talking about? Uh, as a side note, the inspiration for Bob, the voice in Jordan's ear, came from the viral clip of Bill O'Reilly losing his mind during the We'll Do It Live clip. Number three. For number three, we will take a closer look at the climactic showdown in the courtyard. Let's look at the beginning of that. The events are unfolding before our eyes. A policeman has a young man held at gunpoint. Could this be the murder suspect law enforcement has been looking for? Why, there you are, Newsy. You want my phone? Leave those girls alone. Oh, Brody. Now, I know you didn't hear this because I only hear it if I am specifically listening for it. But buried deep in the audio, you can faintly hear Miss Lissy trip over Reverend McLeod's fire extinguisher he left by the tree in episode 5, scene 3. Here, listen again. Oh, Brody. Still didn't hear it? Let me turn everything else down a bit. Oh, Brody. 
There it is. Uh, all right, now let's pick it up a little bit later in the same scene. You shouldn't have made me run. Are you getting this? You're an animal! I hate to run. Yeah, and I hate dirty cops. I wanted it to be a bit more impactful than I think it worked out, but those lines about what each of those characters hated were foreshadowed in earlier episodes. Maybe we'll get back in time before the news crews show up. Probably can if we run. Oh, no way. I hate to run. Mud isn't the only thing I've got, and you know it, Chief. What about the good deputy sending me down the river? Literally. He will be disciplined. Disciplined? Disciplined? You know, I hate dirty cops. Uh, in case you're keeping score at home, that was from episode 6 and 10, respectively. Uh, oh, yeah, and if you listen real close, you can hear Chief Overton drop the axe on the ground after incapacitating Deputy Dundee with it. His head is really bleeding now. Another cop has taken the first one down. And, yeah, the basic premise I was working with was Chief and Admiral heard the first gunshot, followed it to the den where they saw the broken glass and discarded axe that Miss Lissy dropped moments before. Although it would be horrible form from a crime scene preservation standpoint, and despite we already established Chief had a gun, uh, he picked it up just instinctively when the second gunshot was fired and took it with him, and that's why he had it in hand when he came up behind Deputy Dundee during the showdown with Brody. But maybe we should take a closer look at that scene in the den. Number two. Oh, oh, crap. Lissy, you're here. Help me get out. What can I do? Get these cuffs off. Where's the keys? He took them. Find something else. <sighs> uh-oh. What? What's uh-oh, Lissy? Tell me. Um, Brody? Yes, Miss Lissy? When I was just a little girl, I saw this amazing movie on my birthday. And now, this part is... As loopy as a cross-eyed cowboy, I was just talking about this with my new girlfriends. Lissy, I'm sorry, but we don't have much time. You have girlfriends? It would probably be best if you just closed your eyes and held very still. What? Oh, no. Brody, eyes. I don't have any more time to fool around here Javier's going to be so ticked. We have to hurry. It's not as heavy as I thought it would be. I mean, don't hurry a lot. Just a little bit. Stop your squirming, you little wiggle worm. It looks really, really sharp to just be a prop. You don't think a country girl has never ran into a snake before now, do you? What? Let's let's think this through real quick. Uh, let's make a plan and... Wait! I cut those feathered heads clean off. I... Uh, you're absolutely incredible. A lot to unpack, but I'll move fast. First off, big picture. When doing a complicated scene like this with the limitations of an audio-only format, I thought I could cheat a little with a sort of shortcut. By referencing the famous scene in the movie Titanic where Rose and Jack are waist-deep in water and she has to swing an axe at Jack's handcuffs, 
Well, that helps the people who remember the movie mentally fill in the imagery of what is happening here with Brody and Miss Lissy. It's less to explain and it helps fill in the details. And if you thought the den scene came out of nowhere, well, have no fear. Chekhov's axe is alive and well. Javier told Brody all about it in episode four. If you really like football, I need to take you down to my den. You do? Could you look again? Look again elsewhere? What's in your den, Mr. Masters? Camilla and I were the Yorkshire College Axemen's top donors three years ago when they won the Division Four National Championship. I will never forget that day. Me either, Bobby. It's Brody. Of course. As a token of their appreciation, the mascot... Axie? Yes, Axie. You know Axie? I do. We do. Wow. Sorry, go on. Axie presented us with the axe he carried that entire championship season. It's a real axe? I... I don't know. I've never taken it out of the glass case. It's in a glass case? One side note, because it's important to me, one of the things I wrote to add a little flavor to this tale was to create a bit of world building around the local college. Here's Jeb from episode three. I sounded like a soft explosion. Like a few confetti cannons, I, I once saw at Yorkshire College during a basketball game. Go X people! Chop, chop, chop. A few seconds later, everywhere was filled with a thick fog. There you have it. Mascot X people. School cheer, chop, chop, chop. Uh, this is why you hear Miss Lissy take three swings at Brody's handcuffs. It was a nod to the cheer. Chop, chop, chop. And I should also tell you the horror of listening to one of audio drama's biggest shows and hearing something that sounded so familiar. I finished writing the season one script in September 2018. In January 2019, I am listening to King Falls AM, an amazing show. If you're listening to this, you probably are already big fans of KFAM. So. And here they go and introduce the King Fall High Lumberjacks with their school cheer, Chop That Wood. So if you're wondering if we copied them, we did not. Axe people's honor. Number one. The absolute though biggest thing you may have missed in the season finale. Sadly, who seems to have killed really bigs? I say seems to because after explaining my thoughts in painstaking detail with supporting evidence from the script... I still have at least one person swear to me something else happened entirely. I don't know. Maybe they're right. Either way, I'm going to lay out the facts as I see them. Our biggest window into what actually happened comes from a couple conversations Brody's microphones pick up while he is away. The biggest reveal is, understandably, in the finale. How about I just kill you right here and now? Good call. Oh, no. That piece away, son. I'm the only help you got. You got me into this mess. Now you have to get me out of it. I didn't tell you to kill Biggs. You did that. I sent a message, just like you said. What message? How can he get a message if he's dead? How stupid are you? Here, it seems clear the governor asked Deputy Dundee to lean on Biggs because he was unhappy with him. It also seems the governor underestimated the deputy's penchant for excessive violence. Earlier in the same scene. I can't just pardon you right away. How long then? 
They've got mud. No way. I trust the source. I can take care of that. No, it's already way out of hand. You're going to stand down and do your time like a big boy until I can get you out. Yes, his first reaction to the news was to offer to kill Mutt. What a guy, huh? So what was it really Biggs and Mutt were up to? Javier and Camilla discussed it while awaiting interrogation. So when she says to work with this local filmmaker to take down Governor Wise... We jump. Because America needs someone like you in the White House. And our filmmaker sells drugs that our delivery driver supplies with drugs he grows right here on our estate. I've learned a lot of writing is like an iceberg. You have to know a lot more about what the characters and the plot than than what actually hits the page. Often it's a character's history and motivations under this water surface that drives the action you do see. So the way I imagined it going down was like this. When Matthew Wise was still on the police force, partnered with Deputy Dundee, they nabbed really bigs on some sort of drug charge. Uh, Some easy detective work put Mutt on their radar. And soon, Wise and Dundee had everything they needed to put the two away. Instead of arresting them, Wise saw an opportunity, because he always sees opportunity. There was easy money to be made, leverage to be had with the master's limited involvement, Uh, Biggs was the biggest celebrity in town, and now he was essentially his puppet. I believed it played a role in getting his political career started. The Daniels case, the the serial killer, was just nice timing and looked really good printed on those brochures. So everyone was happy. Matthew Wise won the governorship. Deputy Dundee now has a nice side cash flow coming in. Biggs and Mutt avoid prison and keep the partying alive. Although I should mention, I don't think Mutt really understood the gravity of his situation until he saw Biggs half-floating in the swimming pool. So what upset the apple cart? Well, feel free to be like Iconia and blame God, like she did for the lightning. Here is Mutt talking to Reverend McLeod and Brody in Episode 7 after running into them in the woods. You two preachers or something? I am. Nah. Student. Hobbyist. Country boy. Biggs was talking about Walker. preachers the last time I saw him. He was making some changes, as one might say. Wait, really bigs? Good changes? The rapper? Yeah, you'd probably think so. But not everyone appreciates these changes like preacher folk do. If you're catching what I'm throwing down. There you have it. Whether Biggs was having a crisis of conscience or just wanted to escape the governor's control, Biggs stopped cooperating with their arrangement and it drew a response from Governor Wise. A response that would kill him. Luckily, enough evidence was already put together on his recovered cell phone to make life difficult for his killers. And there you go. Wow, this was fun, right? Thank you so much for joining me for this bonus wrap-up episode. I hope you enjoyed it and don't hate everything about it. And me, uh, two quick things for a sign-off. Don't don't fast-forward yet. One of the biggest no-nos writers talk about is the concept of deus ex machina. It means providing characters a seemingly cheap and easy way out of hopeless situations, just in short. So I tried to avoid that a bit, but the source material for this entire podcast is a song about a detective that is full of himself and really sucks at his job, but somehow always catches the killer. So he is blissfully unaware of how annoying he is, and the fact everything always seems to work out for him isn't doing much for his irritating personality. The point is, if you want to know why everything kind of has a vague aftertaste of deus ex machina, it's because I stayed loyal to that source text. 
Uh, finally, I really, really hope to give you a first look at the next project coming out of Pigeon Spaceship Studios, but unfortunately, that time is not yet. So please stay subscribed, follow us on Twitter, join the Podcast Junkie Discord server, links in the show notes, and you will be alerted just as soon as we are ready to share it with you. This has been a riot. Thank you to everyone who has listened and sent kind words our way. We love you, and I believe we will see you soon with some amazing news. So goodbye from us all. <laughs>